0: When we look at the life of Christ, we see how both his private life, so to speak, and his public life are inaugurated with times of great silence. Christ is born in Bethlehem in the quiet of a winter's night in the solitude of the Judean countryside. The quiet of the scene is beautifully described in the Book of Wisdom in the following way. When gentle silence enveloped all things, and night in its swift course was now half gone, your all-powerful word leaped from heaven, from the royal throne, into the midst of the lamb that was doomed. It seems as if God required that all things would be silenced before his divine word could be heard by the world as if the world had to be silent, attentive and listening before it could receive the Word made flesh. Similarly, the next great stage of the life of Christ, his public life, begins in silence, the 40 days of solitude that Jesus spent in the Judean wilderness prior to inaugurating his public life. Now, the Judean desert is an array of hills and canyons with scant vegetation, rocky terrain, miles and miles of desolate land, interrupted only by the occasional shepherd driving his flock. It is the quietest possible landscape, bleak, inhospitable and dark, stark and harsh. The wilderness of Judea has sat virtually unchanged for thousands of years. It is here that David hid from King Saul when he was on the run, and it is here that John the Baptist preached. It is here, too, that Jesus goes in search of that silence he so desperately needs in order to inaugurate the final and critical phase of his life. But not only then, but also later on during the three years of Jesus' public life, we find times of silence. The busy, hectic schedule that Jesus follows for those three years is punctuated by these retreats into the desert, into the wilderness, where Jesus goes searching for that solitude which we imagine he so desperately needs. St. Luke describes this on one occasion saying, But the news about him was spreading even further, and large crowds were gathering to hear him, and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Now that phrase, he would often slip away, is key. We imagine that it wasn't just on the very um, seldom occasion, that Jesus would would slip away, but as St. Luke says, often, regularly. And this in spite of the love that Christ feels for the crowds that come to him. Despite the pity and the love which are described so beautifully in Scripture, Jesus clearly at times feels an imperative need to be away, away from those crowds and to be alone with his Father God. We can see in the image of the crowds our own distractions. Things which at times it is imperative for us to get away from. Things crowding in on us. The phone which never stops. The emails, text messages. Things of our family, our our work, friends and so on. We too must, like Jesus, slip away from these things regularly. Often slip away. He did so habitually. We must do the same. We could say daily. We should try to slip away from these things, setting aside some time for personal prayer. We should slip away also monthly, as we are doing in this recollection, and also annually, in an annual retreat. These are times for a very personal, private, silent prayer which has been part of the tradition of the Church from the very beginning. It has been called by different names, often meditation or contemplative prayer. If we were not to pray in this way, we could hardly hope to properly evaluate the many events and persons which crowd in on us, seeking our, our attention. And certainly the, the saints of the Church have done this from the very beginning. It's a common feature in all the lives of the saints, that they lived intense lives of prayer, very different men and women, very different ages and social circumstances and so on, but all of them are marked by this common feature, living an intense life of prayer. That's where Saint Luke says, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain of to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And elsewhere again, when day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him, and came to him, and tried to to keep him from going away from them. It's remarkable, the crowds seeking to, as it were, stop Jesus praying. And it is again as if our Lord is fighting them off, fighting to preserve this precious time which he needs to be alone with his Father God. So many apparently, but only apparently, important things clamor for our attention, and if we let them, they would keep us from going away from them. We must be resolute, treasure our daily times of silence, without which we simply cannot have interior life. Given the need for a deep spirit of recollection during daily prayer or in a monthly recollection or annual retreat, we need to actively disengage from the clamoring of our mobile phones, of the emails, the internet, social media websites and so on. Because if we don't manage to recollect our thoughts habitually, to gather them up, focus them on, on God in prayer, these These things will be so many distractions, taking us away from God. Saint Maria has a a little phrase in which he calls silence the gatekeeper of the interior life. It's a striking image, as if silence blocks our entrance into the wonderful world of the interior life. And without attaining silence, we cannot hope to enter into this marvelous world. It will always remain a mystery for the person who has not attained to silence. Another image that this Saint Saint Rosemaria used was one used before him by the classical authors who used to recount how bandits would uh, try to break into a house, the house of a wealthy man, and of course find that the prudent wealthy man had locked the door and, and barred the the lower windows of his house. But these bandits, not to be outwitted, would bring along with them a small boy, a small scrawny little fellow, and they would form a human tower uh, reaching up to the first or even second-floor windows. And this scrawny little fellow would climb up over them and in through the tiny window that had been left unbolted. The boy would scramble through the window, down the stairs, and open up the front door, at which point the whole gang could then rob and plunder that house. St. Ezra, on one occasion, he added the following. When he um, gave that story, he said, My children, this often happens to souls. It is a strategy of the devil who does whatever he can to keep us from encountering our Lord, and especially to keep us from benefiting from a retreat He uses the silliest distraction to make us lose our concentration. And through a tiny window, all the concerns we left behind come back in. We lose the recollection we need and fail to gain all the benefits that God wants to give us. Now, importantly, we must realise that silence is more than the mere absence of outward noise. The famous German theologian, Romano Guardini, He points this out when he says, stillness must not be superficial, as it is when there is neither speaking nor squirming. Our thoughts, our feelings, our hearts must also find repose. Then genuine stillness permeates us, spreading ever more deeper through the seemingly plumless world within. This is my mind, the key to silence. Our hearts must also find repose. Elsewhere, Guardini writes, silence means developing the inner senses, the sense of the conscience, the sensitivity to the eternal in us, the ability to listen to God. Now, These times of silence that we set set apart, our daily meditation, monthly recollection, yearly retreat, these are privileged times to find out what does God want to say to us? What things is he suggesting we must change in our interior life? What words of consolation does he want to address to us in times of tribulation? Or What inspirations does he want to give us for our apostolic work, we we therefore must say with Samuel in the Old Testament, "Speak, Lord, your servant is listening." This Isn't the great line of the um, young Samuel who initially didn't know that it was God that was calling him? He's then instructed when God calls him again to reply with that line: "Speak, Lord, your servant is listening." And it is a line that we could ourselves use uh, quite profitably in our own prayer: "Speak, Lord." Your servant is listening. This state of listening is the first condition of good prayer. Cardinal Sarah has written on silence in the liturgy recently. And most of the things that he writes are are the following. Prayer ultimately consists of being silent. So as to listen to God. Who speaks to us. And so as to hear the Holy Spirit who speaks in us. I think it is important to say that we do not know how to pray alone and cannot do so. The Holy Spirit is the one who prays in us and for us. Now, that's where he does point out that attaining silence is hard work. It it, it might uh, appear to be easier than it actually is. He, he He compares persisting in silence to crossing a long, arid desert without food or water. Quite a striking image. The great Italian saint, Charles Borromeo, he gave an interesting analogy for silence in prayer. He compared the spirit of silent recollection to a candle which is in danger of being blown out by the breeze of distractions. Listen to what he says. Would you like me to teach you how to grow from virtue to virtue, and how, if you are already recollected at prayer, you can be even more attentive next time. And so, give God more pleasing worship. Listen, and I will tell you, if a tiny spark of God's love already burns within you, do not expose it to the wind, for it may get blown out. Keep the stove tightly shut, so that it will not lose its heat and grow cold. In other words, avoid distractions as well as you can. Stay quiet with God. Do not spend your time in useless chatter. So he compares there to the keeping the candle alight, or keeping the stove hot. We all know if you open the, the door of the oven. While it's baking something where all the heat is escaping, the oven is cooling down. And uh, the same the same applies with the distractions that we give into opening the the door of the oven and the, the heat is, is invariably escaping from the oven. Silence can also be difficult to achieve because it requires an attitude of humility. Again Sir Cardinal Sarah Sara points out that noise is a sign of quite often of our wishing to be protagonists while silence marks the humble soul who's happy to disappear and he says this in reality good silence belongs to someone who is willing to let others have his place and especially the completely other in contrast external noise characterizes the individual Who wants to occupy an over-important place, to strut or to show off, or else who wants to fill his interior emptiness, as is the case in many stores and public facilities, and also particularly in the waiting rooms of some dentists, hairdressers, and so on, where they impose incessant background music on you. It's very true. It's as if the world fears silence almost more than anything else. All those moments of potential silence have to be filled in quickly. As for interior silence, he says, it can be achieved by the absence of memories, plans, interior speech, worries. Still more important, thanks to an act of the will, it can result from the absence of disordered affections or excessive desires the Fathers of the Church assign an eminent place to silence in the ascetical life. So interesting, it's, it's, again, it's this interior silence, the absence of this buzzing interior of, of monologue and so on, but also, he points out, an absence of disordered affections or excessive desires. They also contribute to a kind of interior noisiness, To conclude then, we look once again at Our Lady. We think of that silence that we spoke of at the beginning. The silence of the the birth of Christ. The silence, in fact, of the very conception of Christ at the Annunciation, when the angel Gabriel was sent to Our Lady with his divine message. And the classical artists always portray Our Lady as being alone. in her house, often with a book, we presume, sacred scripture, open in front of her, that when the angel comes with his marvelous message, Our Lady is absorbed in prayer, contemplative prayer. She is truly silent. And as a result, she is truly receptive, receptive to God's message. We picture her also at the the, um, birth of Our Lord in Bethlehem. And once again we see that same receptivity and silence. There's a moment which I like to picture as an outburst of, of noise and excitement in the nativity scene, with the angels who received the the vision of the angels um, singing Gloria in Jesus' Deo, having instructed them to go to Bethlehem to find the Messiah. And the angel the, the shepherds rather we get the impression they go charging off them to Bethlehem, where they find the grotto where Our Lady and St. Joseph and the child lies there before them in the manger, and that they must have burst into the scene, full of the, of the scene that they've just witnessed. And they are recounting this, perhaps rather noisily. Now, St. Luke gives us just a very small line which, which just shows the contrast with that external noise that even with that noise going on our lady does not lose her wonderful spirit of recollection and Saint Luke says of her that she's silent when she stored up all these things in her heart she stored up all these things we see her looking at these things these events going on around her uh, not totally immersed in them observing them reflecting on them storing them up in her heart, praying about them. Mary, then, is the model of silent recollection. In this, she is a model for us. That recollected spirit of Our Lady makes her so receptive to God's Word, especially at the Annunciation. God can go to her with this message, because He is assured that He will not find her immersed in noise, not the external, external and certainly not, and this internal noise. Our Lady's soul is deeply silent, deeply receptive.